Hi, and welcome to Women in Philanthropy. This is a podcast about and by women working in philanthropic giving. Grant makers, fundraisers, executive directors, researchers, advisors. You can't always see behind the scenes in philanthropic giving, and that means you can't see who enables this giving. My name is Michelle Fugel-Gartner. I'm a philanthropic practitioner and researcher. My doctoral research demonstrated that most of what we know about working in philanthropic giving is told to us through a male point of view. This podcast offers the opportunity to hear from women working in giving. The idea for a podcast was inspired by having dim sum with my friends and talking about our roles in philanthropy, our challenges, and our thoughts. Each 15-minute episode will connect you with a woman in philanthropy. You'll hear about her role, how she got there, and how it enables giving. You'll also hear her thoughts on issues such as worth, negotiation, and influence. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you are a woman working in philanthropy and would like to share your story, please get in touch. And now, our woman in philanthropy. The Women in Philanthropy podcast is generously sponsored by the Voluntary Sector Studies Network. VSSN promotes understanding of the UK voluntary sector through research and provides a voice and a meeting place for voluntary sector researchers in the UK. Membership is invited from academics and practitioners. For more information, look at the website www.vssn.org.uk. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Women in Philanthropy. We are on episode 10. This is very exciting. This is our first season, and we only have a few more episodes with some really amazing women discussing their roles in philanthropy. Today, we're very fortunate to have Carrie Chowdhury with us. And Carrie, I'm going to ask you just to kick off and explain to us your role in philanthropy. Thanks so much, Michelle, for having me. Um, very excited to be on episode 10 of this phenomenal podcast. Uh, recently, I had a chance of uh, listening to a few episodes, and I just absolutely love all the work that these women are doing. Um, so my lo- role in philanthropy, um, you know, I, I really like this question, because it made me kind of pause and think as to what is it that we're doing, because it's, it's always good to reflect. Um, and I would, I would definitely say leading by example on how philanthropy and social investment can empower women and align profits with meaningful goals. So my role is very much from an investor perspective in working on investments and working with founders that are aligning profits with purpose um, and making sure that we're empowering women with equal distribution and capital capital allocation towards women. Uh, It's highlighting real success stories and practical steps that we could inspire others and to follow suit. We can educate women to become investors. Uh, increasing representation on cap tables and also provide access to capital to underrepresented communities, women, LGBTQ, and also disabled. This includes visible and invisible disabilities. Um, and in my role, I love working with all these founders and in these sectors to promote what I am very passionate about. And it is equitable al- capital allocation across various communities. Can you tell us a little bit about how you found yourself coming into this role? Maybe it's the skills and experience you had. Were you in investment before? Um, It's actually kind of the perfect storm. 
uh, I started my career, professional career after university in finance, switched into fashion, made a few investments in sustainable um, product companies, uh, and the whole supply manufacturing side, uh, being a fashion brand uh, and designer, really opened my eyes as to how much work needs to be done to save this planet. Right. Um, and that's when I started the Atlantic Society. And it was, I call it the perfect storm because it was recognizing a need for something like this. Um, and it was building bridges between both sides of the Atlantic. But also I had to create a role because I couldn't find anything like it. Right. I just didn't find any groups, uh, be it venture funds or network organization or angel networks, similar to the Atlantic Society. Uh, we're sector and geographically agnostic, so we can okay. really bridge the gap between both sides of the Atlantic. Um, we are also diverse and an inclusive membership, not just women like a lot of you know organizations are, and they're great. But I also wanted something where we had men on the table participating and encouraging and empowering women at the same time. Um, Amazing. And yeah, and you know, at the end of the day, we're committed to increasing access. Um, to capital to underrepresented communities, regardless of their gender, ethnicity, or their abilities. And I really needed men to be part of that, an active participatory um, element, because at the end of the day, they are the ones still holding more financial power. I'm really curious because you're blending investing and um, sort of, I'm not, I want to use a big descriptive word, but like the social change side. So I, I don't want to just say philanthropy, but actually the way I talk about philanthropy often includes investing, that there are different tools in the toolbox. And so I kind of want to ask you about how do you feel that this particular role and the bridging role that you play, how does that enable giving? And you can think about giving could be a sort of a broad social change lens or how does it enable social investing? So how does this particular role actually enable more of that? Um, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because, you know, we talk about philanthropy and oftentimes it's associated with monetary giving. Yes. But in order to get there, you should also focus on how to, you know, build those monetary reserves, reserves. Right. Right. Like a lot of people, it's like, yeah, I'd like to be a philanthropist, but philanthropist in itself can mean a lot of things. Um, not everyone is in a position such as Melinda Gates. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's empowering women by educating them, um, educating them in improving their financial well-being and which makes them financially independent. Uh, I think that is a social change and that in itself is some sort of a giving. Absolutely. That they can then pass on. Um, you know, you can lift societies up by giving women access to equitable opportunities. Um, when these communities have access to funding and opportunities, they become self-sufficient and contribute to charitable initiatives themselves. And women especially are known to be more giving than men are, you know? Um, right. It and in different styles employment. too. Yeah, completely. That's right. That's completely. right. It creates employment, less crime. So, so many other socioeconomic um, benefits that are a direct outcome of lifting women and empowering um, underrepresented communities. And, you know, successful ventures can also lead to increased giving and support for various social causes, um, helping to the, helping to uplift those in need. So I think, I think, you know, empowering women and their financial independence 
really has this domino effect, which enables more and more giving. And it's, and that in itself also is a domino effect. I have a good friend who has run a podcast called Our Money Power, and it's all about increasing women's confidence and competence in their financial stability, future success. Um, and I just want to highlight that here because I think exactly the positionality you're coming from is so important that we are still in a deficit when it comes to women's financial health and power and decision-making and capacity. And um, even women in our own generation, you know, the question is, is like, how did we learn about finance? And when was that taught to us? And what is the knock-on effects of having maybe a delay or a feeling of, um, well, feeling less confident in being able to make those decisions. So to your point, it's almost like starting at the starting line. And then, then you see these domino effects about how, when women have agency, they make different decisions and those different decisions can have more positive social impact. You know, we talk about so much about how, um, underrepresented communities that includes women, disabled, you know, LGBTQ, whatever it may be, it could be Caucasian uh, man or woman, but who has no access to education network or capital, right? Right. Um, everyone talks about how they're, they're underfunded. But I think what we really need to do is kind of take stock as to why that is. No one talks about the why. Um, and to me, I, I don't want to oversimplify this because it's not a simplified uh, answer that we're looking for. But in order to at least make some sort of a micro level change, I need to simplify this to be able to take certain steps, right? Um, and my simplified answer to this is educate these communities. Right. You know, you were talking about going to school. Nobody learns how to save. Nobody <laughs> learns the importance of investing and saving. Exactly. Yep. Like, you know, like you teach compound interest from formulas and accounting, but nobody actually says on what difference that would make in your own personal finances. Right. Exactly. It's funny because I, uh, I meet up with my group of mom friends every Thursday night and many of them work in finance mm -hmm. and we have this conversation about our kids and how will they actually learn. So you have this group of women who understand finance and are working in finance and they're still thinking like, how will, how will, my kids learn. Obviously, I will try to teach them, but I need to be supported in that. And it's not in the education curriculum. No. And so where does this learning come from at a young age? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, that's where it really stems. And people are in a position of, um, you know, a, a better financial state because they actually, uh, some of them really get there against all odds, given their right. beginnings. Yep. But some of them really work at it. And consciously That's, save and save and save to get there. It's interesting. Um, I reflect on, you know, obviously my parents' generation and their parents' generation. It feels like a lot of this is passed down potentially or, or practices, I think. So it would be really interesting how education can either support good practices that you've already seen in your, in your family or help overcome practices that aren't good. Yeah. Uh, and that you just take for granted, you're like, well, this is how we do. It's like, actually, you could do that in a different way, a better way. You could make different choices if you had that education about what those choices are. And I was really thinking, actually, how does the, you know, your kids, my kid, uh, how do they fare? Because there's so much more awareness in our generation and consciously yes. us passing down this wisdom per se, or, or even our experiences. But more than that, with this whole, um, technology advanced generation, 
they're, they're coming, they're being brought up with technology as the forefront, right? So yeah. they've got apps, like how many apps are out there? You know, FinTech is booming um, with um, catering to young teens, teens, and their money management. Exactly. That's right. That's right. And so my daughter's 11 and we've just broached into the, um, it's not the debit card, but it's one of the apps yeah. that you put the money on and they have the card. And it's really important because, I, you yes. know, with cash not being used, this idea of just tapping this magic card <laughs> and buying something, um, I think it's really important for them to start seeing how that actually works and how they work for some of that money and how that can be used. So I, there's such an incredible power of that those fintech apps. Correct. I also think without some education with the kids, they just really do think that there's this magic card that yeah. you just have. My and, daughter uh, is three and yep. she's like, mama, I need cake. So she'll go on her pretend computer. She's like, I'm working so I can get cake. I and like, it. you know, even at three, but I mean, she started this about eight months ago. So even at like two and a bit, she had just watching us and like adult conversation. She, she knows that you actually have to work to yes. be able to get something. Right. Uh, you right. know, and, and that's powerful even at that age, but you know, in her little world, it's, it's a cake. <laughs> yep. That's perfect. It's in my world. It's a cake. Yeah. Let's be honest, you know, <laughs> absolutely. Um, oh, that's incredible. Okay. I want to shift, shift, uh, topic slightly. Cause I want to ask coming from this role, from this perspective, um, what issue in philanth- in philanthropy do you think needs airing? Um, several, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Several, but you know, I think I think we've just talked about all of this, right? Like the lack mm-hmm. of diversity and inclusivity in the funding allocation, uh, discussing how to ensure equitable distribution of resources, um, what kind of ongoing support we can give underrepresented communities. Uh, I mean, my purview is mostly from an investment side, but it's also um, it's also addressing that underrepresentation of women and people from diverse backgrounds and leadership positions on right. boards. Um, how can we diversify this so that their influence then determines allocation of resources and funding priorities in the future? Because exactly. I, like it, so much of it is still top down. So unless we don't actually correct those problems um, and, you know, because there's a lack of diversity and representation in key decision making roles in philanthropic organizations. But yeah. then that also funnels into the causes they support. I personally still think there's some very strong structural issues about how people come into these roles, how they're hired, how we how we find these roles at all that haven't quite been addressed yet. Um, but I wonder from your point of view, do you see any change in the investment side? I mean, certainly your role is very positive. Um, you're creating change. Do you see a greater, I don't know, groundswell or tidal no. wave? No. Okay. No. So much of it is on the external, but on okay. the internal, it's still not. So external meaning the... Invest- what, they, what they show to externally. I see. Okay. All right. But internally, so, it's just like, um, okay, well, if the man is better for this job, why not just have that? Or, right. you know, what if she becomes pregnant? How can we put in money? Because, you know, she just got married in the next couple of years. That's probably where she's going. Right. There's still all these prevalent conversations. Uh, and, and, you know, that's just, it's, it's, it's very disappointing still to actually hear all of this because it's like, how much do women need to do to prove themselves shifting gears from this? Cause I know you asked for an issue and I want to talk about another issue 
That yes. really kind of gets under my skin. Please um, do. You know, when we talk about philanthropy and we talk about social change and impact, every eye just goes to Africa, India, the Middle East. Right. But you know, the structural changes that we're talking about all stem from the West. I think there's so much that the West can do, fix our own problems first here and address them. So the issue, I guess, in philanthropy that needs airing is that you don't need money to be a philanthropist. You know, these issues that we're talking about that stem from home, you can contribute, you can become aware. So that's why I love the definition of philanthropy being treasure, Mm -hmm. time and talent. And that's not necessarily just obviously treasure and it's how treasure is deployed if it's a grant or if it's an investment, but also time and talent and really taking stock on an individual basis on what you can contribute and how philanthropy how you are a philanthropist, how philanthropy is part of your life. I think we do reclaim this word philanthropy when we broaden what we mean by it. So I think there's a piece of just sort of reclaiming that word. Um, All right. I want to ask you three rapid fire questions Mm -hmm. um, and get your, get your thoughts on these. So what would you say the worst philanthropic jargon is? I think philanthropy, the word itself. Okay. All right. Tell me why. We just expanded it. (laughs) Yeah. I think the word itself, because I think it just has this implied intuitive connotation of it being associated to a wealthy individual. Right. Right. Now, are you, so, because I just said, like, I think we can reclaim it. Do you think we need another term or do you think we need to... I, maybe I think, I think we need a rebranding of it. We don't need a new <laughs> term, but maybe we need maybe we need a new campaign to really say that philanthropy can be for all. Yes, that would be great. I, you know, there's social communicators and firms that would definitely take that on. Yeah, um, <laughs> but I, I think that's a great idea. Okay, um, what do you think the most inspiring trend or person or practice is right now? For me, from an investment perspective, is not giving up to achieve your purpose. Ah, okay. So say, say more about that. What does that look like for you? Uh, it's the rise of impact investing, uh, where mm-hmm. we see individuals, uh, especially institutional investors really kind of getting on board, generating, um, favorable ROIs, but also social, um, positive social and environmental impact. Uh, you know, this results in financial success with meaningful contributions to society. I love this conscious and very intentional way of investing. Right. Um, Institutional investors in particular used to shy away from anything impact because it often was uh, labeled as, you know, you can do, do you can do good, but where are the profits? But actually, right. you know, there, there, in order to do good, you need profits because then there wouldn't be any continuation in that innovation. Exactly. I have a, I have a question that came up a couple months ago at an event. Do you see any difference in the public or private markets? for impact investing? Do you see one excelling more or? I think definitely the private, the secondary is better just because public, I've yet to actually see any, um, you know, listed company that's at least nothing that comes to my mind. Um, nothing that comes to my mind. Um, but in the private markets, definitely. And that was the assessment that I came came out of the event as well. So um, thanks for mentioning that. Because I think, again, with this kind of conversation, it's really important to get down into some of the implementation factors. And I think getting into like which side of the markets and where we're seeing the most positive change and where we're seeing, you know, the purpose and the profits working is really important. Um, I know in the public markets, the ESG conversation is 
all over the place, you know? So I think yeah. it's blending these conversations together. Um, okay. And then for the last question I have for you, mm-hmm. what do you think the next needed role in philanthropy is? <laughs> um, I'm not sure as a whole, but can I tell you what I want to do? Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, like I was thinking about this and I'd love to be an altruism advisor. Oh, okay. Tell me more about what that means. Um, especially with institutions and family offices, right? Like it's to have a very deliberate philosophical and practical approach to doing the most good possible but with careful consideration on how we allocate our resources to make a positive impact. A lot of people say they're philanthropic advisors. What's the difference for you in using the term altruism? I just like this better. What we need to do is look at the net impact of our charitable efforts. Oh, well, Carrie, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you to all the listeners um, for joining us for episode 10. I will ask you to share some resources with us that I will post in the podcast notes uh, for everybody and also link to you for people who want to learn more about social impact investing and how to do this and how to bridge these worlds. Um, So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. I'm really looking forward to this. We'll see everybody very soon in our next episode. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. As well, check out all the links and the resources in the show notes. If you are a woman in philanthropy and would like to share your story, please get in touch. That's all for this episode. See you next time.